I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have Sarah McKnight, the author of The Reaper Chronicles, here to talk to us about a problem I think every author has experienced at least once and probably has revisited many times in their career. Uh, Sarah and I met on Twitter and I have in fact read her books, not all of them yet, but the first one definitely, and I've dipped into another one. So we are super excited to have her on the show to talk to us about this very important topic. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. So the topic we're going to talk about is imposter syndrome. Dun, dun, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I'm having it strong right now, so I, I need to bond with you over this. So what... What do you do to combat it? How How is it affecting your writing? Combating it is uh, near impossible, to be honest, I think. <laughs> Ignoring it's, it? <laughs> it's more about trying to keep it at bay because it's it's always kind of there in the background. Sometimes what helps is if you do have your work out there, looking at your positive reviews um, that always helps me feel like, oh, people actually want my work. People have actually enjoyed reading my work. So this isn't just me or my friends. These are strangers. That can help. Um, also, what really helps me is kind of picking up a, a project that I haven't looked at in a while and reading through it and realizing like, oh, I forgot I had this part in or something actually made me laugh out loud and this isn't as horrible and awful as I thought it was. And maybe I actually can do this. Getting that like distance. Yes. Yeah, reading again like, hey, this that was actually good. What what happened? <laughs> yeah, like, am I sure that I wrote this? <laughs> this is, did I pick up the wrong computer? <laughs> So tell us, what is your own backstory with imposter syndrome? Like, why why is this something that you want to talk about? I think a lot of it has to do with just anxiety in general. That's something that I've always had a very hard time combating. I always kind of wanted to be in the background. I don't really like being front and center. I don't like a lot of eyes on me. And I've dealt with a lot of issues with anxiety just regarding that. So choosing to put my work out in the world for everyone to see is very scary. Mm-hmm. You never know. You can't please everyone, right. of course. So there are going to be people who have negative opinions of your book and that is going to affect you and sometimes cause a little bit of spiraling. But it's interesting, I guess, because I have always been told that I have a talent for writing. And just saying that alone (laughs) makes me feel like, oh, I'm bragging. I shouldn't do that. I, I actually recently found a fifth grade memory book where my teacher had written comments for every student. And for mine... She said, there are two things I know for sure about you. You love to read and you love to write and you excel at both. 
Aww. That's so, awesome. You should frame yeah, that. I kind of want to. <laughs> I kind of want to. But even back then and throughout high school, I took creative writing classes. And in college, I took creative writing classes. It was something that I was always very interested in and something I always got complimented on. But there was some kind of mental block that, oh, I'm, there's no way that I'm good enough to combat with like published authors or these famous people or... It's just a constant battle to try and feel like you're good enough to have your work out there. So how have you found that's affected you as far as like getting your marketing done? I know for me, it's really hard to sell myself, essentially. I'm like, here, read it, maybe. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's pretty much that's pretty much how I am, too. So. The Reaper's Quota actually just made it into the BBNY semifinals. And so to celebrate that, yeah, to celebrate that, I was doing free ebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, how do I do this? Like, here, guys, it's free now. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much all that I've done for that. So marketing is a challenge because it's not something that I'm good at in general. And selling myself is not something that comes easily to me. So mostly what I do is share reviews. Here's what other people are saying. Here's why you should give my book a chance. That's a smart thing because then you don't even have to get in the middle. You're just going, see, someone else said it's good. Right. (laughs) I have no opinion. It's just what this person said. Just ignore me. See? (laughs) Here's a stranger who read my work and said it was good. So... Oh, I like Give it. it a try. <laughs> it's a good plan. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much the best I can do. You know, like I um, I've connected with a uh, art artist on Twitter who has been making these nice little graphics for me to post, and she's going to add like quotes from the book on like images that coincide because I find that people who post images that have to do with their book tend to get more engagement. Mm-hmm. but I don't have the skills to do something like that myself. So, so is she taking help. like little images of the people or the scenes? Like what kind of images is she doing? Something that might like resonate with the book, like for life support, like a desk in an empty classroom and then do like a snippet of the text from the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just something to catch some attention. But yeah, I'm not the one to talk to about marketing because I am still trying to figure all that out myself. It's not easy. Did you share your book with your friends and family or were you like, no, don't read this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) They were going to read it no matter what. Uh, So yes, they've all read it. I was kind of iffy on my family reading some of it, especially the Reaper's Quota. It's a lot of death. (laughs) 43 ways to kill someone. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) I didn't count, but it seems like a close number. I drew a lot of inspiration from A Thousand Ways to Die. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I'm I'm intrigued. I'll have to check it out. (laughs) I I have to say my favorite was the bee sting. And I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to give anything away. But the bee sting was definitely like the whole scene. And it was it was. The best death in the book, I think. Really? Yeah, it amused me. That's the one that really stuck with me. Like the whole vision of it stuck with me. 
And some of them were like funny and some of them were not funny. Right. And some of them were really sad. But that one, like it hit the perfect balance of like having this setting and then introducing this one small thing that just ruined it all. And it was great. Oh my gosh. I never would have expected to hear that particular one. That's <laughs> awesome. My personal so- favorite is the candle wax. Oh, that's a good one too. That that one's very upsetting though. Yes. <laughs> See, Shelly, you have to read it now because you want to hear all the ways that she managed to kill characters. I'm always trying to think of ways to kill people in books, so that sounds great to me. You might get some inspiration. You can market your books, Sarah, to cozy mystery writers who need ways to kill people. (laughs) There you go. Need some ideas? (laughs) There you go. Take it from the Reaper himself. There. Look, you just wrote a marketing campaign. There we Look go. You. And you've got a quote from Emma, best death in the book. So, mm-hmm. you know, hey. You yes. can absolutely quote me on that. Put me in quotes, author of, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, no, okay. definitely. <laughs> so how many books have there been in the Reaper series so far? So there's only two, and I ended the second one in a way that it kind of leaves it open for a third. I have a little vague idea of where I could possibly go with a third book, but I've also not committed to writing a third. So it might just be a two-book series. You're running out of ways to kill people? I can help you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the second one doesn't have as much to do with the death aspect. And if I were to go to a third one... I don't think that had much to do with death at all with what I have in mind. Hmm. But so, did you find your imposter syndrome ebbed a little bit with your second book? You know, it took a while. I was really scared for that one. I was more scared than publishing the Reaper's Quota, which was my first one. And I was really scared about that one because it's unconventional, uh, unconventional and there's mm-hmm. a ton of death. But this one, I've had so many people leave reviews or comments. Oh, I want to see this. I want to see this character come back. I want to see this happen. Oh, I'm going to guess that this happens. And none of what they said is what happened. (laughs) I was like, oh, I hope people aren't disappointed. Here you go. See, that could be hard because then you get fans and you're like, no, I'm going to let them down. But you still have to write what you're going to write. Exactly. And for me personally, what I wrote was the only way that made sense to me mm-hmm. for what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. I actually never intended to write a second book. My intention was to leave it ambiguous and let the reader kind of think about what might have happened next. Because I, I like endings like that. I know not everybody mm-hmm. does. <laughs> and I have gotten some very visceral reactions to the okay. ending of this book. And I, I feel bad because some people have gotten really angry. And this doesn't help with the imposter syndrome. But some people feel like they've been swindled into getting a second book. And I'm like, I, I, you're not supposed to, you know, reach out to the readers and like comment on things. But I just want to be like, no, that's not what I meant. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like I feel like if people are getting angry about your book though, you're doing something right in some ways <laughs> because they felt so strongly about that story that they were like, "No, there's got to be more." Yeah. And that's kind of awesome actually because mm-hmm. they weren't satisfied with one book. They they demanded more. You don't always exactly. get that. Exactly. <laughs> you give people emotions, which is what we are trying to do. 
And that's a good way to look at it. And you know what? That's a way that you need to adjust your thinking when the imposter syndrome's really getting to you. Yes. Because <laughs> I, I knew that the negative reviews would come. I was expecting that. I was expecting that with life support as well, especially because it deals with such heavy topics. And when they did come, I was prepared but it was kind of like a slow burn where at, at first it didn't really affect me, but it kind mm-hmm. of weighed on my mind over the days. Mm-hmm. And that started thinking like, oh gosh, like somebody was so upset about this book that they left me two stars and called me fat phobic. And that is, by the way, just... not what that book is about, even <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> For anyone listening. Uh, life support is about teenagers who are all dealing with different mental health issues and sort of coming together, meeting each other, interacting in ways. Um, And so the issues they deal with are very real and very much how they actually feel. And so sometimes the characters say things or do things Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't what um, mentally healthy adults might want teenagers to think. But it is, in fact, the way they think in those situations. So that's the disclaimer. (laughs) And I'm, like, annoyed on your behalf that someone would say that. (laughs) That one hurt a lot. And I knew knew it was going to come. I knew someone was going to read it the wrong way. And you can have all the sensitivity readers in the world. You know, I had a very close friend of mine read through the character's name is Rosie, her sections, because she dealt with extremely similar issues to this character. And she told me herself, this is spot on. Like, don't don't change anything. This is it. But you can't please everyone. No. And for me, that's the hardest part because I am a people pleaser. I've always been a people pleaser. I want to give people what they want. I can't say no to people. It's, <laughs> it's very hard to be a writer and write what you want to write and tell the story that you want to tell when you are thinking about how it will be perceived by others. Right. Do you often write about uh, mental health issues and all that in your writing? Yes. I say yes. It's kind of broad. A lot of what I write is just teenage teenagers. The, the Reaper's Quote is definitely an, an exception. All of my other work characters are ages 16 to 18. Okay. And teenagers have a lot of mental health issues that crop up because it's such a stressful time in their lives. Personally, that's when my anxiety was at its worst and nobody really knew. And I wasn't getting a lot of help back then. So I just, I I want to incorporate those things into my writing. Not everything that I write necessarily makes that the forefront issue Mm -hmm. there. I was letting you have a chance, Emma, because I've been hogging the conversation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> was there ever a time where you kind of gave in to the imposter syndrome and like let it stop you from doing something you wanted to do? Yeah, a little bit. There's a project that I'm working on right now. I've been working on it since 2015 and it's done and it's had many, many beta readers and I'm hoping to get it out at the end of the year, actually. There's a scene in particular in it that I have been back and forth on for as long as I've been working on it. And this plot point in particular is something that a friend and I came up with years ago because we created this character together. I mean, I'm talking like back in high school, we like Mm -hmm. came up with this. 
And I, one of my beta readers was also an adult woman who wrote teen romance. And some of the comments that she left on that scene were, she wasn't of course rude or anything. She was just, you know, giving her thoughts that it was too much. Teenagers shouldn't act like that. She's too back and forth. And it makes me think, you know, like, I don't know, I never made a solid decision when I was a teenager. And I actually see a lot of discussion on this on Twitter that teenagers make bad choices. Teenagers don't always think things through. And I remember what it's like to be a teenager. It was a tough time. And so it kind of left me wondering, is this a story that people are going to want to read because this character is making teenage choices and not adult choices? Have you asked for teen readers to beta read it? No, I actually, I have a couple of cousins who probably would if I reached out to them, but I have, I I have a teen who I'm almost certain would love to read it. So I'll talk to you offline about it. Okay. <laughs> but like, I think that Shelly, you have make a great point there. Cause I've had that before where I had adult readers, you know, often in their forties or fifties or sixties who are reading it because they have teen children or grandchildren and they go, Oh, they don't act like this or, Oh, they shouldn't do this or whatever. But when the teenagers read it, they go, no, that's, that's, that's spot on. That's exactly how we talk. That's exactly how we think. My friend did that yesterday. And so really I, that, that's a huge thing with picking your beta readers, not just people who write that thing or read that thing, but people who kind of are that thing. If you can, like you did with life support with, with the character who had the same, issues as your friend like you were able to match that up it can make a big difference because their objections are sometimes of a almost a fear base like I don't want to believe that Uh people think that way or that people are experiencing that because it's scary and it hurts to think that and so it can't be real that is a really good observation I actually hadn't considered it that way I don't know maybe it helps Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. It is important to have your reader base do some of the beta reading. And I actually, I don't know how many teens are reading my work. It seems to be mostly adults. Well, they should read what teenagers are actually thinking then. Yes, (laughs) exactly. As alarming as that might be to us all. (laughs) I had a teen reader on my last, the book that's coming out in like a month. And he went through like every line of texting that the characters did and was like, nope, there's no capitals. Nope, take out this punctuation. (laughs) Nope, we would never say that. And like, it is much more authentic because of his input. I know this. And my my mother helps me with with proofing and stuff. And she was like, no, no capitals? Really? Okay. Are you sure? (laughs) This is going to look weird. That's how they talk. It's okay. So yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny what you come up with. But yeah. before I get us totally off topic, I had something that was on topic. What was it? Don't you love when that happens? Oh, oh, the next question is, what are you working on now? Yes. So right now I'm working on something that nobody asked for, but it is a... <laughs> <laughs> but we want it. We want it. <laughs> 
It is a follow-up to Life Support, and it is called Life Support Better Days Coming. And it's basically the next year in these characters' lives. So we have three characters who are now college age and experiencing different facets of being in that age group. So one's going to university, someone's going to community college, some people have to work to support themselves while two of them are still left behind in high school and trying to maintain their friendship as they start to break off into the world, as well as facing some new, sometimes harder hitting issues. So nobody asked for that, but I started thinking about it and I couldn't stop and I had to write it. I don't know why nobody asked for that. That seems great. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. Yes. So if people want to uh, keep up with your book releases and your uh, non-marketing marketing plans, uh, where can they find you on the internet? So Twitter is definitely the base, the, the best place. Um, I am at McKnight underscore writes or Sarah McKnight writes. I just got on Instagram, um, Sarah McKnight writes on there as well. I'm not a huge fan of that platform, so you won't see me active on there, but I do have it. And then I do have a website, sarahmcknightwrites.com. I do post occasional book reviews on there, as well as the workshops that I do with my writing group. I kind of do summaries of what we've done in class. And I do post information about my books, but definitely if you really want to follow me, Twitter is the way to go. Fantastic. Yes. Awesome. Well, well thank, thank you, you so much. Us. Yeah, of course. Sorry, Shelly, did you say something else? No, I just said okay. thank you for joining us. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great to sit down and talk about this stuff. Yes. <laughs>